Welcome to The Jolt. It's Friday the 17th of November and I'm Sam Morgan, your host. Later in today's show, I'm going to be looking at Power to X Technologies and giving you a sneak peek of Foresight's new magazine, which dives deep into the topic. So do stay tuned for that. First up, though, let's take a look at some of the major climate and energy stories making headlines around the world. China and the United States have announced an agreement on climate, two weeks ahead of the COP28 summit. The two superpowers agreed to back a G20 pledge to triple renewables rollout by 2030 and to include all greenhouse gases in their next climate plans, which are due in 2025. It's only a modest deal really, but it's one that could have far-reaching consequences if it leads to China peaking its emissions over the next 12 months, as analysts now hope. The agreement could also turbocharge wider diplomacy efforts at COP28. Developed countries may have met a target to provide $100 billion in climate financing to the developing world, two years later than planned. According to preliminary OECD figures, the objective might have been achieved in 2022, but data is still not public. A new report shows that money for climate adaptation is actually dropping and that most financing comes in the form of loans, increasing debt levels in countries that are already poor. It's certainly a mixed bag. You can either see it as a positive story, that the developed world is slowly but surely getting all its ducks in a row, or that this relatively achievable target has taken far too long to meet. I'll let you decide on that. The United Kingdom has revamped its offshore wind support schemes after the latest auction round in September failed to attract any bids. The government has increased the maximum strike price per megawatt hour from £44 to £73 in the hope that it will spark interest from developers. Floating offshore prices will increase from £116 to £176, while solar power also increases from £47 to £61. These are just maximum prices, remember, and when you factor in that the government is using 2012 data to set the subsidies, the new caps are roughly equal to the wholesale market price. It's all a bit too complicated to explain in this short segment, to be honest, so check the show notes for a great explainer on contracts for difference. That should sort you out. Sweden will build two new nuclear reactors by 2035, its government has announced. By 2045, the goal is to have the equivalent of 10 new reactors online, although a portion of that target might be met by small modular reactors. The government has said that it is willing to absorb some of the costs, but insists that the private sector is just waiting to invest in atom smashing. Sweden's energy demand is forecast to more than double over the next two decades, as mass electrification of homes and industry is expected to push the appetite for green electrons way up. Sweden aims to go net zero by 2045. Norway and Belgium are exploring the possibility of linking their electricity grids with an undersea power cable, which would also be hooked up to Norwegian wind farms. The developers say that the project could work wonders because wind patterns are generally complementary, meaning when it blows in Belgium, it doesn't in Norway, and vice versa. That could mean a semi-constant supply of wind-generated green power. Feasibility studies are expected to be completed by the end of next year. Belgium already plans to build a similar interconnector with Denmark. 
African electricity regulators met in Kenya for talks on how to boost renewable energy. Officials from Kenya, Tanzania, Uganda, Ghana, Namibia and South Africa all gathered in Nairobi to share ideas and plot a course towards more green power. Delegates agreed that renewables hold the key to reducing foreign dependencies, a lesson that Europe is only just starting to learn as well. The meeting also demonstrated that a one-size-fits-all solution simply will not work. Ghana, for example, wants to roll out solar en masse, South Africa is interested in wind power, while Tanzania aims to invest big in geothermal, as it is located in the Rift Valley. Exciting times ahead for the continent. Speaking of solar, all healthcare facilities in poorer countries could be powered by solar panels, and it would cost less than $5 billion to pull off, the World Health Organization says. The WHO's findings will be presented at COP28, and officials hope that wealthier countries will commit to funding the initiative. As the horrendous pictures and reports coming from Gaza show, electricity is the lifeblood of hospitals. So $5 billion seems like the bargain of the century if it will guarantee power for healthcare where it is needed most. Jordan will not ratify a water energy exchange agreement with Israel, citing its campaign in Gaza as a deal breaker. The plan was to swap desalinated water supplies provided by Israel for electricity sourced from solar power provided by Jordan. However, Jordan's foreign minister has now said that the agreement will not proceed because of ongoing events. And the United Arab Emirates has inaugurated one of the world's largest solar power plants, just two weeks before its hosting of COP28 kicks off. Covering more than 20 square kilometers and capable of generating two gigawatts of power, the new plant is equipped with panels that rotate to follow the sun and robotic cleaners that remove sand blown in from the desert. It is part of a drive by the UAE to triple its renewable power capacity by the end of the decade. That's an admirable goal that is unfortunately almost completely wiped out by parallel plans to increase its crude oil production. That's it for the news, now let's get into the story of the moment. Electricity's a wonderful thing, isn't it? It lightens, heats and cools our homes, can propel us over great distances, and can be used to manufacture pretty much anything. It can also be used to convert other materials into fuel, what is known as a power-to-X process. Electrons can be used to split water into hydrogen, which can then be used for a whole range of decarbonisation measures. Sounds like an easy way to go green, right? Well, it's not that simple, unfortunately. It's an incredibly complicated topic for a whole variety of reasons. That is why the latest edition of Foresight's magazine is all about power to X. It'll be debuting very, very soon, so to give you a sneak peek of what you can expect, I turn to our editor-in-chief, David Weston. So it's the most exciting time of the year, isn't it, Dave? Not Christmas, but magazine time. Maybe you can tell us about the theme of it, what kind of topics the articles go into, and um, what's it all about. Yeah, it feels like Christmas, obviously, once I've finally got it out of the way. Yeah, so this uh, print issue of Foresight is our 17th print, print issue. 
and in it, we, in it, we are delving into alternative fuels and molecule space. Um, so this is everything from green hydrogen to blue hydrogen, ammonia, um, all the way to synthetic aviation and shipping fuels. Everything that can be kind of produced from green electrons into a molecule, basically. So it's all this power to X stuff, I guess. I mean, why did we, why did we go down this avenue? Is it because this is big topic at the moment or it's something that hasn't been really reported much? Yeah, it's, it's definitely something... And I say it in the leader of the magazine, it's definitely something where a lot of conversations around it and there's a lot of, there was a lot of hype, you could say, um, specifically behind hydrogen, but it's often talked about and not, but not fully understood. So we wanted to examine where this industry kind of stands today, how it's developing and where the applications are for the best options for power to X and green molecules and perhaps where not to direct attention. I think there's a lot of people saying it's a really, it's like almost a silver bullet. It's something that can be applied really easily. And it, it's not that, that's not the case. And then there's a lot of people going, no, it's a waste of time and we need to electrify everything. Yes, we do, but there's a, definitely a role for it and there's definitely a space for it. Um, so we need to look at how to produce enough quantities of, of these e-fuels, of these green molecules that meets demand in the time frame necessary. I think there's a middle ground. There's a lot of people, there's two camps, people that are really pro-hydrogen, pro-green molecules. Um, and it, it makes sense because it's a very neat solution compared to the, you know, we use a lot of molecules today, but they are obviously fossil-based. Um, and there's a lot of people that are anti it. And I think we need to bridge that divide and go, there is a role for it. Let's be quite practical about it. We've only got 26 years left until 2050. Let's see where what it can do to help nudge the needle a bit when it comes to decarbonizing. Like you say, it's one of those topics that is almost very surprisingly divisive. You know, people have very, very strong opinions about these kind of technologies. There's a load of articles in the magazine, opinions as well. Is it kind of difficult then to make an issue coherent when it's about something that's quite divisive to have all of these? I mean, obviously, as journalists, we're talking to lots of different people to get the full story. But then when you're putting those articles together in one issue, is, is that something you have to spend a lot of time on to get the, the balance and tone right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that's that's a fair um, assumption, a fair conclusion. Obviously, we can't get everything in to the magazine and we can't, you know, otherwise the magazine will be four or five thousand pages long. We just couldn't possibly touch on everything in the in the depth that we go to. So it's a case of finding the key areas where the technologies are playing a role today and analysing that. We haven't done anything on using it in heating, for example. There's a fairly can you know big consensus that using green molecules in heating is just not necessary there are better and um, ready-made applications available today yeah i mean your uh, your fellow podcast co-host yan does a run in total on the number of independent studies that have debunked its use right i don't know how many actually now but he does i i think he'd disown us if we if we did go down that route uh, at all depending on what we kind of said and we maybe we could have added to that total but yeah given given his research on it i think it was that was a, that would have been a waste of time going down that so we um we touched on you know we're touching on an areas like heavy transport so aviation and shipping heavy industry so steel production particularly issues where it actually does make a bit of sense where direct electrification yes there are solutions but perhaps aren't it's not practical you know, it's not practical to stick a giant battery in a plane, particularly not yet at the moment. So, so there's there are good conversations to have about this, and there's also the existing hydrogen sector in chemical space, in as a feedstock, um, and in fertilizer um, production again as a feedstock, where you need to find green alternatives to this hydrogen production. These are, these industries aren't going away, so they have to find green alternatives. So this is where the development of power to X and electrolyzers is will make a difference. 
But there are then the added benefits and the added sectors where it could have additional benefits that we hadn't thought of or weren't originally planned for. Do you have a favourite article or piece from the magazine? You are, of course, not obligated to say my amazing piece on road transport, although I will change the edit of the podcast to reflect that view. <laughs> I could, of course, I should say yours, Sam, but I can't. And they're all really good. I couldn't possibly. It's like picking my a favourite child or something like that. Um, when I, especially after pouring over them for the last uh, few months or whatever, I couldn't possibly pick one. All of them have really interesting angles. We've, so we've got a piece on um, the ACES Delta project in North America, which is converting a, a coal plant into one that you will use green hydrogen as a, is energy production, to be fair, uh, which is not something hydrogen is really good for. Uh, but it will start off as a blended, start being blended with natural gas. So it will slowly reduce emissions, but not entirely. And they make some interesting points there about how it will help with seasonal storage, um, which is something, a big uh, issue with uh, the energy transition there and using wind and solar uh, during times when it's not sunny and it's not windy, um, but also avoiding curtailment. And during times when wind and solar are going gangbusters, you need to be able to do something with the electrons that are being produced that are not needed. Um, and that that's one option is to produce a green molecule or green hydrogen from that. Um, so again, it's a solution. It might not be the best solution. It might not be the solution we use in 2050, but we have to make a we have to make progress now. We can't wait until 2045 to start making progress on the journey to net zero. Amazing written content aside, just like a word on the the visuals because you know the artwork is always one of my favorite parts of the magazine because it's it's nice to see how your words are translated into to something that's illustrated. Um, how was that process this time? Are you, are you particularly happy with this edition? I am. Yeah. So we used Bernardo França again. He's a Brazilian-based illustrator, uh, and he helped us on our last print magazine on market design at the start of this year. Uh, so he came back again, uh, and he's definitely been a lot more playful with it this year, uh, this time around, uh, which is something we, we're really keen to do. Obviously, it's a very in-depth, technical, often theoretical topic, so photos are quite difficult to come by. So it's nice to have an illustrator bringing uh, both fun and interesting illustrations, but also, again, still quite informative and trying to provide a different perspective through illustrations. I think we've sufficiently whetted people's appetite for this uh, this edition without giving the game away too much. How can people actually access the magazine? Can they expect it anytime soon? What, what do the dates look like? Absolutely. So the articles are going out on the website, on foresightdk.com uh, now. Uh, with obviously we laid off with your piece this week on uh, e-fuels. The magazine itself as a PDF and a Digimag will be available uh, from Monday, the 20th of November. Uh, and then the physical copy will be available to subscribers very soon. It will be landing on your desks very soon. And we'll be taking a whole load of them to COP with us. So we are, uh, we'll be in Dubai, me and our CEO, Casper, will be in Dubai with a whole uh, host of magazines. So make sure you come by and grab one from there. I know that your your task with the magazine is a bit um, Sisyphean, really, where it's never really done. You're already starting to think about the next one. When can people expect to to see that? I have to get start working on that as well. So uh, yeah. we will, yeah, we'll have to have a meeting about that one, Sam. Uh, we're working on the next topic, settling on what we want to do and uh, how we want to tackle it. But it'll be out in May, so uh, do keep an eye out. And if you have any thoughts, feelings, or suggestions, please do get in to- in, in contact with us. Many thanks for joining me for today's Jolt. I'll be back next week on Monday for much more of the same. Bite-sized news updates and a look at the story of the moment. I hope you can join me. In the meantime, obviously take a look at that first article from the magazine on e-fuels that is online and keep your eyes peeled for the rest. 
The latest edition of The Policy Dispatch is now free to air as well. This particular episode focuses in on Moldova. You can listen to The Joel either on the website, in-app, Spotify, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to sign up for our newsletter as well. You've only got a short window in which to sign up, so please do so if you are interested. Thanks once again to everyone at Foresight for helping to make The Jolt possible, and shout out to Mute Island for providing the theme music. Until next time, thanks for being a part of The Jolt. Thank you.